My name is Matt Evans, one of the pastors on our team, and just want to welcome you wherever you have gathered to uh, be with us at Rockbridge Community Church this weekend. So whether you're in Calhoun or Dalton, Chatsworth, Ringgold or Hickson, thank you for being here. We're fired up about Hickson. We're starting this weekend our second service, so we have two services in that location. So uh, praise God for that. I ask you all to continue to pray for what God is doing in all five of our locations. So if this is your first time at Rockbridge, it's a great time to uh, be at church because we pray preach and teach in series where we'll sort of package uh, content or a topic or a theme or some parts of the Bible together and just talk about them for several weeks to try to get as much out of them as we can. And so you're uh, here today as we start this new series called I Am Not a Quitter. Before we jump into that, I want to ask you all just pray with me and I'll be praying for you. God, thank you for every person here in all five of our locations, people who got a CD or logged in on our website. God, there's no accidents, there's no mistakes. This is your word from your, inspired by your spirit. So God, we know that uh, we're here for a reason. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would have for us today. God, I confess apart from you, I can do nothing, we can do nothing. So we invite your presence here to move in our minds, to move in our lives, to move in our hearts, that we would leave differently than when we walked in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so some of you may know this, but uh, a couple of years ago, for whatever reason, uh, I decided to train for and run the New York City Marathon, which I uh, am excited. There I am. I finished the marathon. I've actually got the medal on, and, and it was great. So that's 26.2 miles. However, uh, the, the full story is I started running the race on adrenaline. You know, there's like, uh, they do it in waves. And so I'm like at the starting line with 10,000 other uh, insane people. And there's people all lining the streets. So there's very few parts of the marathon where there's not like two and three and four deep uh, th as you run through all five boroughs of New York City. So I ran really, really fast. And so at the end, I was like dying. Like I am like ready to quit. I'm we come out of the Bronx, you go into Central Park for like the last two or three miles, and I love running in Central Park. It's a special place uh, for me and just some parts of mine and Beth's story, and I am in Central Park, and I am not hoping to finish. I am hoping Jesus comes back. I mean, it is, I mean, I am praying, Lord, your will be done, your kingdom come, like now, like in the next, like, two minutes, like, because I'm thinking I am literally about to quit, like, I have nothing left, my legs felt like they weighed about 300 pounds, and, and I, I don't know what, I don't know what I'm going to do, so I round this turn, and, you know, runners, uh, and I'm going to sound a little, uh, maybe uh, a little runner arrogance here, and I apologize for that. It's not my intention. But you can kind of tell people who can run a marathon after you've trained for it and people who would have no business running a marathon. So I, I ran this corner, and there's this lady, and, and, she, uh, and, and she cannot run a marathon. Let me just put it that way. And she's got a sign. And she is hanging out, and I'm like, I'm going to hit the sign because that's just. And she had this face like a football coach, like. Mm. And here's what the sign said: It said this. <clears throat> if you can go to the next one, said, "Don't even think about quitting." And there's a little bracket there because there was a New York City adjective that I can't say and won't say in church. But it said, don't even think about quitting. And I saw her, I saw her face and her passion, and I was like, I cannot quit. And I got through it, and I got my medal, and I've lived to tell you that story, right? Praise the Lord. Uh, <clears throat> but I don't know about you, in things way more important than a marathon, most of us 
have been at a spot where we have given up or we're certainly tempted to give up. And, and we could run through the gamut of life experiences, could we not? We could talk about marriage. We could talk about, hey, church. We, we could talk about giving up on God. We, we could talk about, as a parent, I don't know what to do anymore, I, school, career, uh, li- your, your New Year's resolution, right? How, how's that going, you know? It's eight months in. I mean, we could talk about so many things that quitting just seems to be a common to the human race temptation. And quitting just seems to become, at some point, an option. Or at some point, something that we sort of take into consideration. Because what starts as real promising in life, hey, I'm going to run a marathon. Hey, I'm about to get married. Hey, I've got a new job. What starts as real promising becomes develops sort of problems or pain or pressure. And those problems start to outweigh our hope and become really hard, and it feels like what's hard is greater than our hope in what we started, and and, and we just sort of quit. And, And then we've sort of gotten conditioned, especially in the West, especially in America, that there's this phrase, that there's this thing called what, if it's hard, we sort of think it's bad. If something's hard, we sort of think bad. How was your day? Hard. How's your marriage? Hard. How's your job? Hard. How's your training? Hard. How's your class? Hard. And if that word, if we're using the word hard, it just connotates bad. And it doesn't take long for to go from hard equals bad to bad means I need to stop it. I need to drop the class. I need to quit reading the book. I need to quit the workout. I I need to find a job that's not so hard. Some of you, you've been walking with Christ or started walking with Christ. And I always tell new believers, I said, just wait. At some point, it gets hard. It's exciting. You get baptized. It's exciting. You identify with Jesus. At some point, it gets hard. And, and you know, well, it's not supposed to be this hard because God is good. Not God is not bad. And hard equals bad. So I might have to walk away from God. And, and, and it's real easy to get there in your mind, in your heart, and then to live that out. But if we're honest... And I hope we will be. If we're honest, most of us today are currently enjoying something good that came about because of something hard. Just think about that for just a second. Most of us today, we're enjoying something good that came about because of something hard. We can talk about our freedoms in America, and we can talk about the men and women who have gone through really hard training or really hard conflicts and battles and actual wars to provide us with this thing that we call really good, which is our freedom. Most people in the room who have been married longer than their honeymoon will say the best that my marriage has been hard at times but it's been enriching and ultimately it's good. And, and, and so we can go through this. We're going to all go crazy, all of us football people. We're going to all go crazy when our teams win games and we're hoping that our team will win a championship. Do you have any idea what fall camp is like for a football player in college? Do you have any idea how hard it is to pass college classes and, and, st- and go through football practice and football meetings? It's really hard, yet we're going to celebrate or we hope to celebrate when our team wins or when our team's a champion on the back of the hard that those players go through. And we could go on and on and on and on. Hard, though in our mind, sometimes equals bad. But in God's mind, it's a little different looking equation. 
Matthew 7, 14, Jesus is talking about his kingdom. And he says something really interesting. He says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard. That leads to life. And he's talking about life in his kingdom where he wants us to live, where his will is done. Life and, the, and those who find it are few. And why are those who find it few? Because sometimes we equate hard with bad and God's not the author of bad. So this hard thing that's bad can't be of God. So I have to quit it. But in reality, Life sort of looks like this. All things worth doing sort of look like this. And I want to just think about it in terms of four zones. And I'm indebted to a pastor down in Lawrenceville named Kevin Myers for this description. But let's think about our life or our things in zones. I'm going to talk about an A zone, a B zone, a C zone, and then a Q zone. All right, so the A zone is this. It's the zone of promise. It's when you start something, the new job, the new church, the new small group, which we're kicking off this month. Uh, you start the new ministry. You start the new career. You get a new baby. You, you're about to get married, a new relationship. And it's this promise, and it's happy, and it's exciting. And it's, hey, how was your first day as a married couple? Awesome. You know, how was your first day at the work? It was great. It's the promise time. And we're just looking at it, and it's just awesome. And then you go to the B zone, which is where problems emerge. You go to, anything worthwhile is going to have a B zone. It, you can talk to athletes, you can talk to students, you can talk to anybody who's, who's lived life. This is when, God, the promise doesn't look as attractive. This, this is when it, it starts to get a little bit difficult. This is when you're wondering, is it worth it? This is when hard sort of equals bad. Bad sort of equals I might need to quit it. And that gives us the Q zone, which is where I was in the marathon. You can throw that up, please. And it's where, hey, I, I think I might want to quit this marriage. I might want to quit this small group. I might want to quit this journey with Jesus. I might want to quit reading my Bible. I might, and you can put a thousand things in that sentence, right? Because of the problem. And the problem starts to outweigh the promise. And if we quit, we miss what I'll call the C-zone. Which is this, the payoff. The payoff. The reward for enduring, not quitting your marriage. The reward for continuing to save money when it would be sometimes easier to quit that. The reward for <clears throat> pressing deep with God. The reward for getting up every day and reading our Bible and, and spending time with God in prayer when it's so hard and problematic to get up 10 minutes earlier and set the alarm, especially because work is problem, all these problems. But there's a payoff. And that is the pattern that we see in Scripture. That is the pattern that we see in life. And so everything worthwhile is going to have difficult moments in it. Everything worthwhile is going to have a season of hard. And I'll say it this way. The deepest pleasures in our life require painful discipline. I mean, most of us, when we think of pleasure, we think of like a sugar high from a Krispy Kreme donut. It's easy, it's cheap, but it's superficial. There, there's a difference between the pleasure of having a brownie and having a cupcake and the pleasure of having a great marriage. There's a difference between like a biological pleasure that, that comes through like sex and romance and, and having a deep pleasure of having your soul united with God and enjoying God's fellowship. Two different kinds of pleasures. There's the difference between the pleasure of sleeping late 
and the pleasure of, of, of finishing a workout regimen and like shaving off the pounds or getting yourself in shape or something. There's different pleasures. And I would make a strong case. I would make a strong case that God wired us for hard and that God wired us for the deep pleasures. I mean, even like Adam and Eve, when there was no sin in the world, God gave them a, an assignment. You know what it was? You're here, go and fill the whole earth. That's a deep pleasure of cooperating with the mission of God. And we're wired for these deep pleasures, and yet we want to get addicted to the, to the quick high, the quick hit, the superficial, the, hey, the movie was great, I laughed, I had a good time, life is good. But there's nothing in our life that is hard or requires endurance or perseverance because we believe this lie that hard sometimes equals bad. I was in Hickson Middle School uh, last weekend preaching up there at our campus, and I read this sign on the door of a classroom, so I thought I'd share it. If there's no challenge, there is no change. If there's no challenge, there's no change. And, and couldn't it be possible, couldn't it be possible that God, <clears throat> that God knows we need to change, that God is trying to do something in us, and, and to do that great work, he puts us or allows us to go through some things that are hard. So if there's one thing that I want to ask you to remember, if you walk out of here, hey, what was the sermon about? I want you to remember three words. And, and it's going to require you to unlearn something that you might have walked in here with. It's going to require us to combat kind of a, an American-ish kind of mentality. And here's what I want us to learn. Hard actually equals good. Therefore, it's always too soon to quit. Hard equals good. And I know, I know, I know, because some of us, we've walked in here and we're ready to quit. Some of us, we're, we're in a place of despair or disappointment or defeat. Uh, some of us are going through hard. All of us will go through hard. Most of us have gone through hard. And, and it's really hard for you to say hard equals good. And it, and it can come across as me being uh, somewhat insensitive. So I just want us to acknowledge something. There's an element of unbelief today right now in our room. Because a lot of us are looking at that and like, I don't know that I believe that, Matt. I don't know that I want to believe that. I don't know if I want to accept that because as soon as you believe that, it opens your life up to a whole realm of possibilities that you and I don't want to consider possible. Because all we want what? We want smooth sailing. You know, we want to ride the limo with no load, you know. But. If, if I could challenge us and, and read a word from the Lord to us that backs up this equation that hard equals good, maybe the Holy Spirit would give us eyes and a new way of believing and looking at life today. Here it is, Romans 8. And we know that in all things, now all includes hard. All includes hard. God works for the good. So that's how I get my equation, that hard equals good. If God is working in all things, and all things includes hard, and God is working for the good, then hard equals good. Now, there's a condition of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And his purpose is what? 
For those, here's the purpose, those God foreknew or knew ahead of time, he also predestined, planned out ahead of time to be conformed, to be shaped, to be molded to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So God has a plan and God is interested in you and I if we're called, if we've responded to that call in us becoming something. And here's the tension points of where you and I are tempted to not believe what I just read. Listen to me. We're all tempted to believe hard equals bad. Hard does not equal good. And this verse I've just showed you scripturally, the Bible says hard equals good. So where are the tension points that cause unbelief? Let's face them. Here's where they are. Becoming versus happening. We want God to be concerned about what's happening to me. God's concerned about who you're becoming. God will use what's happening to shape your becoming. And he wants you more like Christ. And that's the tension point. Because when bad or hard stuff, and hard equals bad, if that's our paradigm, if that's our mentality, when bad stuff's happening, we don't think about who we're becoming. We think about God, stop it. God, get it out of my life. God, if you don't get it out of my life, I'll get it out of my life, and I'll walk away from you. Because you should have kept this from happening to me. And God's like, time out, time out, time out, time out, time out. Hard equals good because I'm interested in who you're becoming. And, I, and I'm so sovereign and powerful and good and gracious myself that I'm going to use what's happening to you in a fallen, broken world that was not my, my God speaking, not my original plan. I'm going to use what's happening to you to help shape who you're becoming. Because you know what? Who you're becoming is who God gets to spend eternity with. This is temporary. This is permanent. So God's just a wise investor. The other tension where you're tempted to not believe the hard equals good is this. In us versus for us. See, there's battles that we face, right? And we want God to fight the battle for us. But the battle God is most concerned with winning is the battle going on in us. The battle going on in you. Are you going to be selfish? Or are you going to be spirit-driven? Are you going to be driven by anger? Or are you going to be driven by love? Are you going to be driven <clears throat> with a spirit of bitterness and revenge? Or will you be driven by a spirit of compassion and empathy and, and forgiveness? Will you have a passion for your glory or a passion for God's glory? All of those are battles that every soul here today faces. And, and God wants to win this battle. Sometimes more than this battle. Think of it this way. You and I have no idea what God sees in us that we cannot see ourselves. And that part of you, that made in his image part of you, that's what God wants to bring out of you. And to do that, he will allow or he will cause hard to come into our lives because he's good, because he's amazing, and because he's sovereign, and because he's glorious, and because he promises it in Romans 8, 28, 29, hard can equal good if God is sovereign over the hard. So that's what we want to remember. Now, let's start connecting the, dot, the dots. To not quit, to not quit, we're going to need to understand hard equals good, paradigm shift. And we're going to need this little phrase that's, that's kind of gotten some traction in our culture. This little phrase called grit. Not girls raised in the South or grits, but grit, okay? We're going to need, we're going to need grit. 
Okay? Now, let me, let me kind of talk to you about where it's coming from. There's a lady who just wrote a book, and it's come out. Her name was Angela Duckworth, and she left a high-paid consulting job to go teach middle school in Manhattan, in New York City. And she started observing something in her students, and she started observing that the students that were doing the best in her class were oftentimes not the smartest, but the scrappiest. They, were the, they, were, they just had this tenacity about them that they were not going to let up, that they were going to figure it out, that they were going to press forward. And so she stopped teaching, got a degree in psychology, and goes and studies like West Point cadets during their freshman year. She should have studied the Naval Academy, but she studied the West Point cadets. She studied the National Spelling Bee participants. Uh, she studied teachers who, who thrive teaching in tough inner city environments, and she decided, and she found out that what was the predictor of success was not IQ, was not physical attributes or good looks, was not social intelligence. It was this thing called grit, this thing of resiliency. So let me give us a definition for grit, okay? A couple of things. I'll give you two. First one is this. Grit is simply a passion and a perseverance for very long-term goals. A zone, promise. B zone, problem. C zone, payoff. So if you're a Christ follower, let me put it in this paradigm. If you're a Christ follower, we live really by definition not for anything this earth can provide us. We're actually looking forward to a long-term goal of God's kingdom being fully consummated on heaven and earth together. A long-term goal of being with God without the static. So we have to have passion and perseverance to get there. Another way of defining grit is this, sticking with your future day in and day out. Sticking with your future payoff, C-zone, day in and day out, whether it's easy or whether it's difficult. Grit. So I, found, I was praying through this and found this passage of Scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's going to be our main passage here. And this seems to be the passage where Paul, as he's about to die for being a Christian, Paul is trying to encourage one of his pastors, Timothy, to have grit for the long haul, to have grit to push, push through the problems of being a pastor, the problems of ministry. And I'm going to, we're going to draw out some principles that Paul prescribes to Timothy in this teaching. So we're going to start reading in verse 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 4. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead. So Paul begins, listen, with this notion of accountability. That there will come a time when we have to account how we ran the race. Say it again. We will, there will come a time when we have to account how we ran the race. And, and so Paul says, okay, Timothy, I give you this charge before God and Christ. Who's going to judge and give us an accounting, a reckoning of how we ran the race? So he's going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom, that's the payoff, that's the C-zone. And here's what he tells Timothy. He says, preach the word, because that was his assignment, that was his calling. Be ready, and here's key phrase, in season and out of season. So there's going to be times when it's like all promise, and, and it feels like good, and it feels people are responding. And then there's an out of season, when it's not going to be popular. And it's not going to be convenient. It's not going to be easy. So he says, rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience. Great. You can't microwave what I'm asking you to do. You, you, you can't microwave a great marriage. You cannot microwave a great ministry. You cannot microwave a great career. You cannot microwave great kids. So you've got to have great patience. So with great patience and teaching. And then he, say, he warns Timothy. He says, for the time will come. And here's the B zone. 
problem zone. The time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. There's going to become a time, Timothy, where they don't want to hear you preaching. Why? Because according to their own desires, they will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They won't want to hear truth. They will want to hear feel good or what they only want to hear. And so they will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, Timothy, you don't take your cues from them. You exercise self-control in everything or discipline in everything. Stay focused in everything. Endure hardship because what you're doing is good do the work of an evangelist fulfill or complete your ministry now just from those five verses that we read you and I can identify some of the temptations that Timothy faced and I think they're very similar to the ones you and I face when we're in a B zone when we're in a problem zone and they're the temptations that can push us to the Q zone right to I quit I'll stop running I'll run a different race because hard equals bad unless we believe the word of the Lord that hard can equal good so here's some of Timothy's common temptations the first one is inconvenience and we get that from the phrase in season and out you and I, if we're not careful, because in our service economy where, where so many people are, are into customer service and, and the restaurant's got to serve you and be convenient for you and, and Walmart or the grocery store's got to serve you and be convenient for you, there's a temptation for us to get soft and to judge things by whether they're convenient or not. And so we'll quit things solely on the basis of convenience. Let me just say this. Anything worthwhile is going to have an in-season and out-of-season. And we got to hang in and press forward. And then he says a couple other things. He said, people are not going to tolerate your preaching. So therefore, the approval of others cannot be your scorecard. You cannot just do something just because other people are at a boy, at a girl in that. You got to have a deeper conviction. That Because as soon as people quit approving of what you're doing, you're liable to quit what you're doing. So it's got to be bigger than that. So it's got to be beyond convenience, beyond the approval of others. A couple other temptations that, that come up. Sometimes you're going to be tempted to go with emotion over discipline. And he uses the phrase, the exercise of self-control. Discipline is doing what needs to be done even when you don't feel like doing it. Discipline is doing what needs to be done no matter if it's convenient or not. And, and so he says, sometimes, Timothy, your emotions, you're going to have to have self-control over your emotions because I say this to all you all the time. Emotions are gauges, not guides. Emotions are bad guides, bad navigators, but they're okay gauges. And, and so sometimes we'll be tempted to choose emotion over discipline. I hear this so many times, so many times. Makes me want to throw up. Here we go, all right? Well, I just don't feel it. Really? I mean, there was a time when you were like five years old and you felt like the boogeyman was real. You're going to make your feelings God? Okay? Nobody, nobody would get heaven if, we, if Jesus was feeling it. Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he want to do? He wanted to quit. But he pressed through the B zone to the C zone. So you cannot put feelings on the throne of our lives. Another temptation from Timothy is the frustration of faithfulness. And here's what I mean. Sometimes it seems like God's inefficient. Sometimes it seems like God waits an awfully long time. So sometimes you're wondering, is this worth it? And sometimes you're tempted to confuse successfulness, the way People Magazine defines it. You're tempted to confuse successfulness with faithfulness. Don't make that mistake. 
Faithful is being faithful to God and to God's version of you that he's working to bring out of you because he's working in you versus society's image for you. So don't confuse successfulness and faithfulness. And sometimes, though, it's just frustrating. Sometimes in, in my line of work, probably in your line of work, sometimes as a parent, don't you wish you could send them back and you realize you can't, right? Don't tell my boys that. All right, so, but, but I mean, just, just be honest. Sometimes you're like, I don't know if I want to be in this job anymore. I don't know if I want to be in this marriage anymore. Why did I start this? Why did I get into this? It is predictable. So don't let the frustration of remaining faithful determine whether you stop and go into a Q zone or press forward to the C zone. And then out of these temptations that Paul sort of identifies, Paul then puts his life up as an example. And here's what he says. He says, Timothy, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, which means I'm about to be killed, martyred, die. And the time for my departure is close. Notice what he says now. I have fought the good fight. See, most of us think fight's bad. If you're running the right race, it's not. So he calls it the good fight. It's a fight, though. And fights, you have to persevere. You have to endure. You have to have grit. You can't quit. So I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Races have ups and downs. They have A zones and B zones and hopefully a C zone. So I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. And then look what he's looking to. He's looking to the C zone, the payoff. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, remember there's an accounting, and we're rewarded for faithfulness, the righteous judge will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. A zone, B zone, fight the good fight, finish the race, C zone. It's all right there. So what do we do with that today? Now, now, here's the deal. On part one of a series, I can only introduce and give appetizers. We have to press forward. So I got to invite you back for part two next week. But I do want to give you five thoughts, five applications to start working this in to our psyche and start working this in to your equation, your A zone, B zone, avoid the quit zone and press on to the payoff zone. Here we go. All right, first one is this. Make sure we use the right scoreboard and the right game clock. Here's what I mean by that. Society and culture give you a scoreboard of how you should look, of how you should dress, and of what success looks like. Society says, you know, the game clock is our time on earth. The right scoreboard and the right game clock. Game clock is eternity, not earth, not temporary. Game clock is who are you going to be on that day when the righteous judge appears. So who I'm becoming is more important than what's happening. And scoreboard is, am I being faithful to the work and the call of God on my life? Am I being faithful to all I know that God has revealed to me, that God has shown me? So use the right scoreboard and the right game clock. If you are looking at the wrong game clock or the wrong scoreboard, you will be tempted to quit and give up on that game. Secondly, ensure that we have the right definition for good and the right definition for bad. Ensure those definitions are right. If your definition of good is comfortable, easy, and pleasurable, you will miss God, doubt God, and move into atheism, practically or actually theologically, guaranteed. Because your God and my God has, what did Jesus say from the very beginning, longest sermon he ever preached? The way is hard that leads to life. And few 
find it. But if we believe, and we do at this church, that being a Christ follower is the only way to die and the best way to live, then our definition of good is anything the sovereign God brings into our life to work for good in us and through us. Number three, take responsibility for where you currently are. Once again, you, got, you and I have to unlearn something. What is our society great at? Blaming everyone else for our problems, right? Even if you are where you are because someone sinned against you, you're a victim of violence, you're a victim of a nasty divorce, whatever. Wherever you are right now, would you do this in your seat? Make an altar, make a commitment. I am going to quit blaming my past. I am going to quit blaming other people. I am going to quit blaming the government. I am going to quit blaming anyone else. I am where I am. And I'm going to surrender where I am to the sovereignty of God. And this moment you do that, hard starts to equal good. Because God is good. And he will work in, he will work on to help you become his son or his daughter. Take full responsibility wherever you are. Own it and take it. Number four, please reject inertia. Always do the next thing you know to do. Here's where you get tripped up. God may give you enough to take one step today, and you start thinking about, well, what about next month? Don't do that. Always do the next thing you know to do. Because if you always do the next thing you know to do, you'll go from A zone to B zone to C zone and avoid the Q zone. Because God's not going to, he's not the author of disorder. He's not the author of confusion. There will always be enough light in your path for you to take at least one more step. Not two more, but at least one more. So resist, reject inertia, reject sitting there and doing nothing. So you're like, I don't know what to do about my marriage. Yeah, you do. Start with prayer. I don't know what to do about marriage. Yeah, you do. You might need some godly counsel. I don't know what to do about marriage. Yeah, you do. Maybe you need to take your wife on a date. You hadn't done that in six years. Just start there. I, I don't know how to grow closer to God. Yeah, you do. Be in church every week. I don't know what I'm going to do. Read your Bible. I don't know where to start. Start in John. I've just eliminated an excuse for you. Thank you. All right? <laughs> you always know enough to take the next step. Here's what I found. 16 years, occasionally doing some counseling with people. People come to me because they're stuck. They don't know what to do. Here's what I'm fine. Here's what I'm know, all the time fine. They do know what to do. They just neither need the clarity and affirmation or they lack the courage or the grit. But you know what to do because God's not going to keep you in the dark. And then this is the main point. True grit always comes from outside ourselves. True grit always comes from outside ourselves. God tests us beyond our capacity, so we look outside ourselves to gain additional capacity. True grit always comes from outside of you. I want to show you this <clears throat> by way of illustration. So back to the marathon. So I told you I started the race way too fast. So, I start, so I'm running the race. Let me throw you my times up here. I got these out of the Nike app, okay, uh, from my Nike app. This is way back 2015. So you can see what's happening to me. So mile 13, I'm at an 8-minute, eight, eight 30-second mile pace. Uh, mile 14, I'm at 8.52. 
mile 16, I'm at 924. I mean, we are going off the cliff here, right? I'm, I'm, in, I'm in danger of the Q zone. I told you if that sign. And then at mile 17, something happens. I go from a 924 to a 751. What in the world happened? And then it went away, 835, 856, and mile 20 through 26, every time was in the nines. I am hurting. Well, what happened at mile 17? Let me tell you what happened. That's where Beth was waiting for me. And I was like, I am about to see my wife. Mile 17 is the hospital where she was treated and cured from leukemia. And there was a cheering section right there. And so I started anticipating that. I started speeding up because I saw her and I drew strength from someone else. God wants you to draw strength from seeing Christ. Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross endured that's the word gritted it out on the cross who did he grit it out for who did he endure it for well for you and for me and then it also says see zone for the this is hebrews 12 for the joy set before him the way you and i fall in love with jesus you know what we do we look at the cross and we realize he did that for us we couldn't do it he gritted it out he grinded it out he endured and so as we're running through the race of life and we're constantly because you can see Christ through faith in the word of God in the preaching of God in the singing to God in fasting in communion there are millions of mediums that you can see Christ on the cross Christ in the empty tomb Christ reigning and ruling inviting you into his kingdom and yeah the way is hard and few find it but when you see Christ you have the power, the fuel to run and to not give up. Because I'll tell you something about God. God will give you more, give us more than we can handle, but never more than we can handle together with him. And one of the beautiful things that God has done is he's authored a community, a community that we call the church. It's so much more than an hour, so much more than a sermon or a song. And so as we talk about getting connected in community, understand that one of the ways that we are empowered and able to see God is through community. So at Rockbridge, we've got this coming up in two weeks. It'll be in part three of this series about small group connect. I want to encourage you to seek community because community will help you see Christ. And seeing Christ is how we draw strength to accelerate through the race. If you're the parent of a 6th through 12th grader starting this Sunday night in all of our campuses, we have an environment called The Link. It's The Link Launch, 6 to 8 p.m. this Sunday. Parents, do not show your kids that quitting church is okay. Encourage your kids for the race that lies ahead. Final question. And this is the final grit installing question I want to leave you with is this. And here's the question you can ask. What do I want to say then about the win I am in? See, all of us are in a win, right? You're in a season, you're in a moment. What do you want to be able to say then? When you stand before God Almighty and you look back and you say, God, when my marriage was tough, what do you want to be able to say? See, I, was, I started thinking about that running the marathon. I was like, well, what am I going to say? Well, when I was at mile 24.8, I quit. See, when you look back and say, God, when I was a freshman in high school, when I was struggling on the practice field, when, you know, I knew I needed to be in, what do you want to say then about the win you're in? Here's what I hope you want to say. 
God, I was faithful to you. And everything I knew that you had revealed to me through your son, Jesus, I was faithful. So here's my question. All of you are in a win. And you'll tell a story about the win you're in years from now. What story do you want to tell? Are you being faithful? Do the next thing you know to do. Let us pray. God, first, I want to just pray for everybody here and realizing that I know there's some people that have walked in and they're facing something. A challenge, an adversity, a temptation, a fight, a race. God, I pray that we could see everything we're in or facing as connected somehow to the story you're authoring. We would not doubt your goodness because we see that goodness on the cross. Holy Spirit, show us the cross right now. Show us the endurance, the grit, the no quit of Jesus, the love of Christ. And God, as we look at the cross and we look through our, at our wind, through the lens of the cross, God, help us to trust you even if we don't feel it, even if we don't sense it, that this hard that we're in can be good. If you're in it. And if we're faithful to you. And then Holy Spirit. Would you just give us the strength. Or the courage. Or the clarity. To take the next step. To do the next thing. That we know to do. So God where there's confusion. I pray for clarity. Where there's fear. I pray for courage. Where there's a temptation to quit. I pray for grit. The grit that comes from outside of any of us here. The grit that only comes from you, King Jesus. God, make us a people who will not quit our wives or our husbands or our kids. Make us a people who will not quit the church, who will not quit following you. Make us a people, God, who will endure, who will persevere, who will fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord God, find us faithful by your grace for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.